All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. I, I was, uh, we, had a, we had a great trip, obviously. We were out last week. I had the opportunity to go back to my, my hometown of New Philadelphia, Ohio, and, and uh, man, they had asked, the church there, First Baptist Church, had asked me to come back and do their men's breakfast and then their Sunday service, and so I went back and did that, and uh, wow, what a rich time. Obviously, a lot of you guys know my family still lives there. My dad was the pastor at that church for 25 years, and so it's, a, it's kind of a surreal moment to walk up there and stand where I, you, I watched him do his thing all those years. It was, it was pretty cool. So we had, man, we had a, we had a great trip. That's such a, that's such a great church there, and they, they love you guys, and it's just cool to have the, the camaraderie that we have with them. Obviously, they're a big supporter of the marriage conference. Their pastor is the one that CJ was just saying is going to be in Dallas, and so like you said, if anybody wants to go there and do that, then and join that conference. I'm going to try to make it for at least a night or two myself. Like you said, they'll have child care there. So anyway, so yeah, so that, that's, that's, where, that's what was happening last week. It was a great trip, but man, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back in our study of the book of Second Thessalonians this morning. We're going to be continuing our verse-by-verse study of this book. If you're, if you're newer here, that's what we attempt to do. We, don't, we, we do topical series, yes, but, it, but what we love to do is be able to just dive in and break the Bible down verse by verse and just preach it exactly the way that God preserved it for us, line upon line and precept upon precept. And that's what we attempt to do. And in that way, kind of what happens is, is you find yourself sometimes in positions talking about things that aren't culturally acceptable anymore. And, and you find yourself talking about things that you otherwise wouldn't have talked about. But God's word talks about it. And so if God, God thought that it was worthy of preserving in his word, we think it's worthy of preaching. And so that's, that's what we try to do. And so we're going to continue that verse-by-verse study this morning. When, when I last preached two weeks ago, we studied the first two verses of chapter 3 of the book of Second Thessalonians. And in those verses, we saw that after all all the praying that we had seen that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had done. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are the authors of the books of First and Second Thessalonians. All the praying that they had done throughout these two letters, we're almost to the end of this second book or this second letter. And throughout this time, we've seen them, them pray for the church of the Thessalonians lots of different times. And after praying for them all of these times, they finally showed up to the table with a prayer, with a couple prayer requests of their own, and 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 they they weren't the typical prayer requests that we think of when we're making prayer requests. One one of the one of their prayer requests was for the word of the Lord to have free course and be glorified through their lives. In other words, that their prayer request was was that there there would be nothing that would impede God's word getting to others and being received by others through their lives and their other prayer request was that they would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men in other words their their prayer request was that they would have enough time to finish their course in the midst of a world that wanted to stop them from spreading god's word at any cost including killing them and and we saw that the the word of the lord having free course and being glorified 
and, and the need to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, man, that thing just goes hand in hand all throughout the Bible. Every time God's word begins to do a work somewhere, you can rest assured opposition and adversity is not far behind. And, and so coming off these prayer requests, you have to believe that those requests they probably brought some sobering realities to the church of the Thessalonians because obviously the church of the Thessalonians, well, they were believers in Jesus Christ now too, recent believers. They had the same target on their backs, and in fact, they'd already begun living through intense persecution. So in the midst of those sobering realities about opposition and adversity, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they begin to talk about the Lord's faithfulness. And so as we begin this morning, the first thing we're going to see is that the Lord is faithful to us. The Lord is, is faithful to us. We pick up this morning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, which says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. The Lord is faithful. He he is true. What he says, it is sure. Like I mentioned in the previous verse, verse 2, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, man, they're asking for prayers to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And the next verse begins with, but the Lord is faithful. <laughs> unreasonable and wicked men, man, they're out there and, and they want to hurt us. They want to cause us problems. But the Lord, man, he's going to be faithful. He's He's trustworthy. He can be completely trusted to be everything his word tells us that he is and can be completely trusted that he's going to do everything his word tells us that he's going to do. Numbers 23 and 19 describes God like this. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Our God is a God. Man, he's, not, he's not like mankind, because we will lie. <laughs> and we, we will say we're going to do something, and we won't follow through with it. But the God we serve, he's nothing like that. Our God, he's incapable of lying. And if he says he'll do it, he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. You can rest assured of that. And, and what he never said was that we won't have problems and trials and tribulations and adversity. That is, that is one thing that he never said. In fact, he said that we would. <laughs> like I mentioned two weeks ago, we looked at quite a few places in the Bible where we saw problems and adversity going hand in hand with the word of the Lord having free course and being glorified. We went to quite a few places and we could have gone to more. If the work of the Lord is being accomplished, then attacks are around the corner. So God never promised that we wouldn't have problems and, and adversity in our lives. He promised that we would. <laughs> but what we also promised was, is he promised he'd be with us and that he would strengthen us as we go through it. And God will be faithful to honor that promise. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 29, it says that, that he giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Problems, adversities, attacks, persecutions, they go hand in hand with being a part of the Lord's work. But when we're faint, he will be faithful 
to give us power. And when we have no might and we're weak, he will increase our strength. I I love how the the psalmist describes God's faithfulness in Psalm 100 and verse 5. He says, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Don't you take great peace this morning in the fact that God's mercy is everlasting? It's a good thing because if he was like us, his mercy would have run out for us a long time ago. His mercy, it's it's everlasting. So even after 6,000 years of human history and all the mercy that he has poured out upon mankind all through the years, In light of all of that, you'd think he's about half done extending mercy our way. But 6,000 years later, here we are, and God still has mercy that's just overrunning for us. Aren't you glad he doesn't run out of mercy, and he's faithful to continue to extend that? And this verse says, his truth endures to all generations. He will be faithful to do that. It will endure to all generations so that even we have access to his truth today in this generation all these years later. John 17, 7 says God's word is truth. That's what truth is. It's God's word. And then Proverbs 30 and verse 5 says that the truth of the word of God, every word of that is pure. So that truth, which is the word of God, every word of it's pure, and that truth is going to endure to all generations. (laughs) That means God will be faithful to give us access to it, even now, even all these years later, even over language translations, and it will still remain pure. Do you believe God was faithful to do that this morning? At every turn, God is faithful. He was faithful to preserve his word, and he's going to be faithful to fulfill his word. And like we also saw from this verse, he's faithful to be merciful to us. In in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 through 23, this verse also talks about God's faithfulness to be merciful. And it says this, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Because God is so holy and and because he's a consuming fire, when we fall short and we sin and we're unfaithful to God, we should be consumed by that fire. Oh, but praise the Lord for the fact that God is, is merciful. He's so full of mercy that that he's faithful to renew his mercies every morning. When you woke up this morning, they were as good as new. God is faithful. And you know what one of the most beautiful parts about God's faithfulness is? He continues to be faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. We fall short of what we've been called to be. We fall short of what we've been called to do. And though we're unfaithful to him, he remains faithful to us. That's the God that we serve. God is faithful. And though God is faithful in in everything that his word says he is and everything his word says that he'll do, in our passage this morning, we see some specific ways 
that he is faithful. And what we see that God will specifically be faithful to do is he will be faithful to establish us. He will be faithful to establish us. According to 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, the Lord will be faithful to to establish us, it says. He will establish us, or we could say he will will strengthen us. We just saw a few weeks ago in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17 that Paul, Silas, and Timothy's heart desire for the church of the Thessalonians was that the Lord would establish them in every good word and in every good work. And, and we're seeing that this is only possible through God's strength. The Lord was going to have to do it. Through God's strength, he can establish us in every good word and every good work. Or, or through God's strength, he can establish us to say and do everything we've been called to say and do. Back in our, our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, we studied God's faithfulness in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And, and here's what we learned in, that, in, in those verses. It says, In the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Listen, all the things that God has called us to, the the sanctified lives, blameless lives that we've been called to lead, all the things that we've been called to stop doing, all the things that we've been called to start doing, the same God that called us to those things is the same God that will be faithful to establish us in them and strengthen us and empower us to do them. He didn't call us to a single thing that he won't give us the strength to do. There are times where we may be struggling in our lives and, man, we are frustrated and we're looking around and we just want to scream, oh, my goodness, I can't do this. And we're right. We we can't. And we fail to realize that that's actually where we should have started. (laughs) We can't do it. God said he'd do it. He wants to do it through us. Jesus said in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do some things, but leave the tough stuff to me. Is that what he said? No, Jesus says, for without me, ye can do nothing. In Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. All the things that God has commanded us to do and all the responsibilities that we've been given as believers in Jesus Christ, we can obey every command and fulfill every responsibility through Christ which strengtheneth us. Through Christ we find strength to be what we've been called to be and do what we've been called to do God will be faithful to provide that strength. So if we fall short of what we've been called to be, and and we fall short of what we've been called to do, it's not because we didn't have access to the strength. It's because we didn't go through Christ for the strength. It's the only place true strength can actually be found. It's the only strength we need to fulfill all the things he's called us to do. He won't withhold the strength, but we've got to get it through him. It doesn't matter how weak we feel sometimes or how helpless 
that we may feel sometimes. Through Christ, we find the strength. And in fact, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 about our weakness. Have you seen this before? And he, it says, and he said unto me, or, or the, the Lord had said unto him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Even in infirmities or, or weaknesses or, or, or sickness, Paul says, I'll glory in those things because the weaker that I feel in my own humanness, it's just more opportunity for Jesus to flex on me. It's just more opportunity for Jesus to show off as his power strengthens me. So, so instead of allowing infirmities and problems to make us uh, upset and, and distressed and depressed, just like Paul, we can actually glory in them. We can glory in those things. You see, there are, there are religious groups that claim that Jesus will remove your infirmities and he will always solve your problems. But that's a false hope because that, the Bible never says that he'll remove our infirmities. It says he'll be faithful to give us strength in the midst of our infirmities. To the point that instead of being distressed in our infirmities, we can actually glory in those infirmities. God will be faithful to establish us and strengthen us even at our weakest in the midst of infirmities. Check out the story that we see in Hebrews 11.11. 11. And Hebrews 11.11 11 is talking about Sarah. And it, and it says that through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Now, now stop there for just a second. Here we have a woman who was faced with a humanly impossible situation. It was actually impossible on multiple levels. According to this verse, we can see that she was past the age of childbearing. She was way too old to be having a child. It was humanly impossible. And in addition to that, Genesis 17, 16 says that she was to give birth to a son that would give birth to many nations and kings. Okay, that too is a humanly impossible task. There's no woman that has ever lived that has woke up one day and woken up one day and said, you know what? I think I'm going to give birth to a son. And not only a son, I'm going to give birth to a son that through his seed there will be many nations and kings. Right? Nobody, no, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of sons that have a lineage of nations. There'd be a lot of kings out there somewhere, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But, but, but listen, despite these multiple humanly impossible situations, it happened. <laughs> how, how did it happen? The rest of the verse says how. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. There will be times in your life when you will feel like you are facing humanly insurmountable circumstances. And oftentimes that is what you're facing. You're facing humanly insurmountable circumstances. You're going to look at the challenges in front of you and you're going to say there's no stinking way. But like we've been seeing, no matter what those circumstances are, no matter what those challenges are, God will be faithful to be with you through it all and strengthen you through it all because that's what he promised to do. There may be challenges in front of you right now that you don't even feel equipped to face, but maybe you feel called to do. 
maybe there's some of you that are that are that are already stretching yourself to to serve and to serve and to be a part of, of ministry in this church. Or maybe there's some of you that that are feeling the pull to get out of your comfort zone and stretch yourself in serving and ministry in this church. Maybe some of you believe God has that for you within the context of this local body of Christ. Maybe some of you believe God may have that for you on foreign soil. But you look at the prospect of that and you and you look at yourself and you say there's just no way. Maybe you look at the Great Commission and our, and our call to make disciples and, 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 and make disciples while we're evangelizing and while we establish people in the faith and you just can't see how God could use you like that. You can't envision it. There's just no way. And you're wrestling with that because God's doing something in your heart that's hard to ignore, but you keep going back to how could he use me like that? And what we can't forget is the question that God asked Abraham in the midst of this whole situation with Sarah giving birth in her own age. In Genesis 18, 14, God said to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? There are plenty of things that in our flesh and in our humanness, man, there is no way that we can do it. But through God's strength, there is most definitely a way. And just like Sarah, when the challenges seem insurmountable, you can judge the Lord faithful who has promised. We, we, don't, we don't have faith in ourselves, but we judge him faithful who has promised. And you say, well, that's this, that's different story with her because she had a direct promise from God that she could bank on. So it's different. But do you realize, so do we. <laughs> Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where we find the Great Commission, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And here it is. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. (laughs) There's your promise right there at the end of verse 20. We've been commanded to go and make disciples. Go and, go and teach all nations all the truths from God's word. And in the midst of that command that we've been given to minister God's word and make disciples, we receive a promise in the midst of that command from God that there's not a single solitary second where Jesus isn't with us all the way to the end of the world in the midst of it. What a promise. Jesus says, go out and make disciples, and as you go out to do that, there's nowhere you can go where I won't be with you, and no matter what happens, rest assured, I will be with you. And so when we envision ourselves ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ to others and making disciples, and you look in the mirror and say, there's just no way I can do that, just remember, it's not a matter of you doing it It's a matter of you judging the one faithful to do it through you that promised he'd be with you every step of the way. And listen, y'all, it's so important that we get that down because we're going to need it. We're going to need to understand that no matter what, he will be faithful to establish us and strengthen us. He hasn't promised to change our circumstances, never did. He promised to be faithful to strengthen us in the midst of them. So we've seen from verse 3, God will be faithful to establish us or or strengthen us. And now let's look at 
at how, letter B, that he will be faithful to keep us from evil. He'll be faithful to keep us from evil. The end of, uh, the end of 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, The Lord will be faithful to keep us from evil. And, and, and it's important that we understand that, that this doesn't mean that God will be faithful to keep us from evil or bad things happening to us. We, we just covered that already this morning and multiple times in the study of, of these two books. But, but 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a verse that will help us shed some light on what God is saying when he says he'll be faithful to keep us from evil. Listen closely. Here's what it says. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Okay, in other words, what God's saying is whatever temptation or trial that you're faced with in your life, it isn't something that no one else has not faced some version of in their life. Others have had similar experiences. But here's the part we need to make sure that we see. But God is faithful. We've been seeing that all morning. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God is faithful to us so that there is never a single thing that has or will be put in front of us that other people have not lived some other version of, and there's never going to be anything that's put in front of us that we, can, that, we, that we can't stand in the midst of that will cause us to fall. Because along with the temptation... The Lord is faithful to provide a way to escape it. When temptation comes, listen, start looking for the path out because God is going to make a way of escape for you. And sometimes the path to escape so that you can bear it and endure the temptation, listen, sometimes it is just to simply run. It's to flee and get out of there. We need to make sure we understand that that's not only an option, that's oftentimes the best option. The Bible prescribes this method of escape multiple times for multiple types of evil and sinfulness. The next verse, in fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, it says, flee from idolatry. Run away from that thing, man. Get out of there. Flee from anything in your life that you're tempted to love more than you love God. Anything you're prioritizing over God, it's something that you love more than God and it has become an idol. And you should flee from that thing. You should run from that. 1 Timothy 6, 9, it talks about fleeing as well. And and, and listen to what it says. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows but thou O man of god what should we do flee these things and follow after righteousness godliness faith love meekness patience meekness verse 11 talks about fleeing specifically fleeing the covetousness of the love of money. When, when you covet something, it means that you desire something that God doesn't have for you or that God doesn't have for you right now. And, and, and certainly coveting money is something that's high on the list of things that we are tempted to covet, isn't it? 
It, no matter how much we have, it's ingrained in us. More, more, right? And the reality is, maybe God doesn't want some of us to have more. Look at what's connected to being rich in verse 9 and tell me if he wants everyone to have more. Falling into temptation and a snare or a trap in verse 9. Falling into foolish and hurtful lusts are associated with it that will only drown you in destruction and perdition. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being rich. But when you are, you just need to understand there are extra temptations in front of you that have destroyed many people. Verse 10, it talks about coveting money and loving money, which is only the root of all evil, and that sin has caused many to err from the faith. And they've brought many sorrows upon themselves. Verse 11 says, flee from all that. Run, get as far away from it as you can. Don't even get close. It's easy in our culture to covet money and the, and the love of money. And the best path of escape for it sometimes is to simply flee and run as far from that as you can get. Don't let it get close enough to where it can get a hold of your heart. 2 Timothy 2.22, it tells us there's something else we should flee. It says we should flee youthful lusts. Flee, run away from those lusts. 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says we're to flee fornication. Flee from all sexual sin. Get yourself out of there and run. The Lord will provide a way of escape. And sometimes it's for you to put on your Nikes and hightail it out of there. It's nothing to play with. You remember how Joseph handled Potiphar's wife? <clears throat> Potiphar, he was an Egyptian that was an officer of Pharaoh. And, and Potiphar, he had made Joseph the overseer over his house and over everything that he owned. And Potiphar's wife, she had a thing for Joseph. She, she made ad major advances on Joseph. And she pursued him to the point that Genesis 39, 12 says she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And what did Joseph do? He left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. She throws herself at him and grabs his outer coat and he flees so fast that he leaves the coat in her hand. He takes off running and gets out of there, man. Run, Forrest, run, buddy. God made a way of escape. And just like it so often is, the, the, the path to getting out of there was to flee. Get out of there. It's the same way it oftentimes works, works for us. We need to just get far away from whatever the temptation is. Now, now sometimes we need to flee, but... But let me add one more thing for your consideration, because sometimes we need to flee the evil and other times we need to do like Romans 13, 14 says. And we need to not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. We're not to make provision for the flesh. We're not to supply our flesh with opportunities. Sometimes we need to flee the situation that we didn't intend to get into. Other times, we should have never put ourselves in the situation to begin with. 
We need to make sure we're not putting ourselves in situations that we know are going to face us with temptation. Sometimes we need to quit playing with fire and not get into the situation to begin with. But again, rest assured, if you find yourself in the situation where you're faced with any sort of temptation, whatever temptation that may be, you can rest assured God is providing a way of escape and you better start looking for it. 2 Peter 2.9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. The Lord knows how to deliver, to deliver us. Maybe it's fleeing, maybe it's another way, but there will be a way of escape and deliverance. In John 17, Jesus, he's about to be betrayed and, and he's praying for believers and he's praying for us. He's praying for those that will believe in the future. And here's what he prays in verses 15 through 17. Jesus prays, not that thou shouldest take them out, the believers of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify, which means set apart, Set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're, we're in the world, aren't we? We're in the world, certainly, but we're not, we're not of the world. This isn't our home, and so we shouldn't act like it is. Just like Jesus prays, God will be faithful to keep us from the evil. And like we just saw, sometimes he keeps it from us by making a, a way of escape because evil is everywhere in this world. And like we just saw, oftentimes our problem is that we put ourselves in situations that give our flesh opportunities that it shouldn't have. But do you see what it is that's connected to us not putting ourselves in that situation to begin with in this verse? Jesus prays we'd be set apart from the evil in this world and goes on to pray that we'd be sanctified or set apart through God's word. Putting time in his word, it's connected to keeping us sanctified, keeping us set apart from the evil of this world. When we get into that book, we find ourselves getting further and further from the, from the evil that's in the world. And listen, though we're, not, though we're in the world and we're called to reach the world, we're sanctified and set apart from the evil that's in the world. And based on what God says about keeping us from evil and providing a way of escape from evil. Here's the bottom line. Anytime we choose to give in to the evil that we're tempted with, we could have and should have done otherwise. It's that, it's that simple because we either made provision for the flesh and we put ourselves in a bad spot or we were given an opportunity to escape and we didn't take it. We are never the victim of this. We could have always chosen a different path and escape. So we've seen that, that, that God is faithful. He's faithful to establish us or strengthen us. He's faithful to keep us from evil. And, and next we're going to see that the Lord has his hand on us. The Lord has his hand on us. Uh, our next verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, which is verse 4, here's what it says. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. Now notice where Paul, Silas, and Timothy, Timothy's confidence is, or where their faith is. It's in the Lord touching them. It's, it's, in, it's, it's in the Lord, it's not in the Thessalonians. 
they, they had confidence and faith that with the Lord's hand on the Thessalonians that they will do and would continue to do the things that they were commanded. Now we know the things that they were commanded there. Those things that they were commanded is what we know to be the word of God. We know it to be the Bible. We've seen this from 1 Thessalonians 2.13 a lot in this book study. It says they received the word of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. So what we can apply from verse 4 for our from our text this morning is, he has his hand on us to strengthen us to follow his word. He has his hand on us to strengthen us to follow his word. It's a, it's, a, it's a similar sentiment, of course, to a lot of what we've been seeing this morning. God's hand will strengthen us to follow his word and to do what we've been commanded to do. He doesn't expect us to do it, to muster up the strength on our own. Psalm, David says it like this in Psalm 63, 8. He says, my soul, it followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand, it, it upholdeth me. God was, God was faithful to touch David and to have his hand on him and uphold him so that he could do what he'd been commanded to do. And God will do that for us too. But don't miss David's role in this. David, what did he do in this verse? He followed hard after the Lord. You, you see, what happens is, we follow hard after the Lord, and as we follow Him, we're faced with situations and circumstances that we don't have the strength to handle. But as we follow hard after the Lord, He has His hand on us to strengthen us to do what we've been commanded to do, and His hand upholds us. So if we don't live how we've been commanded to live, it isn't because He, didn't give, he wouldn't give us the strength. It's because we weren't close enough to Him to receive the strength. He won't force us, y'all. He did not make us robots. He won't force us, but as we go to him, he will have his hand on us to give us the strength to do what he's called us to do. But, it, but it, it's not just that through God's hand being on us that we'll be able to do what God's commanded us in his word for a season. It's that he'll continue to do it. It isn't just for a season. He, he says that this should be a lifestyle. This should be, a, this, should be this way in the future, he, he, he has his hand on us to strengthen us to continue to follow his word. That's what the end of verse 4 says. They had confidence in the Lord touching the Thessalonians that they would do and will do the things they commanded. There's a future element to this thing. With the Lord's hand on us, there's no reason for us to only be able to follow God's word for a season and then fall off the log again. You know anybody like that? Has that, ever, has that ever been you? Follow God's word for a few months. I'm all in, God. I'm just vibing with the Lord this month, you know. Then a month later, back to the sin stuff again. Back to playing around in the world again. I've seen that so many times it makes your head spin. That's some people's lives. It's a big cycle of spiritual ups and downs. There's absolutely no reason that it should be that way. Philippians 1 6 says being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? This is, this is a great proof text for eternal security, by the way. 
But what I want you to see is God didn't just save us and then leave us to ourselves. No, he, he, didn't, he didn't just save us and have his hand on us for a season of life and then remove his hand and then stop caring. No, the same God that began a good work in us the day he saved us, he desires that we would continue to walk with him and follow his word until the day of Christ, which is the day that we're raptured out of here. He desires to give us that strength, and he will be faithful to give it to us. If we don't have strength to continue walking with the Lord, and we're in a bunch of highs and lows in our life, it won't be because in your lows that God was just unwilling to give you his strength. It'll be because you didn't go to the only source for the strength. We won't continue following God's word because we're so great. We, we continue because he's so great and he strengthens us. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they had confidence and faith that with the Lord's hand on the church of the Thessalonians that they would do and would continue to do what God's word says and there's no reason it should be any different for us. It's the same for us. There's not a single reason we can't do what God's word commands now and that we can't continue doing what God's word says in the future because God will have his hand on us and he will strengthen us to do it. And then next, the, the theme of the, the Lord's strength continues in these verses, as you'll see. And, the, and next we see that the Lord will direct us. The Lord will direct us. Verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians 3, it says, In the Lord, direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. As God is, is faithful to strengthen us, he's also going to be faithful to direct us. He, the Lord, is, he's with us, and, and through his strength, he'll, he'll establish us, he'll keep us from evil. Through him, we'll receive strength to follow his word now and in the future. And in addition to all of that, in the midst of that, the Lord is directing us. He's steering things. And there are two specific ways here we see that he is directing us. And the first way is, is he directs our hearts into his love. That's what it says. He directs our hearts into the love of God. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, again, it says, The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. This verse, it, this verse keep in mind, y'all, this verse is not written to unbelievers. You understand that? This verse is not written to, to unbelievers. This verse is written to, so, to believers. It's not written to the lost so that they'll truly understand God's love and then they will be saved because of that. No. This verse is written to the church. It's written to those that already believe and that have already received God's love that they would be directed into a further and deeper encounter with the love of God. As time goes on in, in your walk with Christ, is that what you find true of your life as time goes on? Do you find yourself with a further and deeper encounter with the love of God? Listen, we all know that God loved us the day we got saved because we understood that day what he did for us on the cross. But now that we're believers in Jesus Christ, do you, do you know what it is to have your heart directed into the love of God and to go further in that relationship? 
Man, it's, imp- and it, it, it's so important that we get that. And it's also important that we notice how this verse is worded. God, God does everything very calculated. Nothing is haphazard. And notice it, that this verse doesn't say, and the Lord directs the love of God into your hearts. No, what it says is, and the Lord directs your hearts into the love of God. Do you see the difference? You see, the love of God has always been directed towards our hearts. According to 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4.9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He did that for us while we were yet sinners. His love has always been directed towards our hearts. The problem is our comprehending God's love for us and us loving God. And so that's why this verse reads that God would direct our hearts into the love of God. And again, he desires we go deeper into that relationship that we find in him. But but left to our own devices, y'all. We'd never get there on our own, would we? Left to our own devices, we'd... We'd never get there if we had to direct ourselves that way. Jeremiah 10, 23 even says, Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We end up lost or nowhere fast when we direct our steps because we don't have it within our own strength to direct ourselves properly. No, it's only through God that we get the direction that we need. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We go to him, and he directs us. And one of the ways he'll direct us is he'll direct us even deeper into into his love. It's a a love that's so great that it it goes beyond human comprehension, but he'll direct us into it. Though we can't completely comprehend his love, God can direct us into it so that we can begin to work our way down the path of understanding it more deeply. And understanding that in our minds and in our hearts, listen, it's so important because without that, it is really hard to trust him. It's really hard to trust him when when our hearts haven't been directed deeper into the love of God. Man, it's hard. It's hard to trust him. But when we grow in our understanding of our love, our our trust and our faith in him, it grows. We understand then that the one that's in control of our circumstances, that's the same person that loves us. And we have an understanding of the love that he has for us. That makes all the difference in the world. So with God directing us, we we can have a further and deeper encounter with the love of God. But the Bible uses the the phrase, the love of God, that we see in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5 that we're looking at right now. The Bible uses that phrase in another way as well. Yeah, it's in reference to God's love for us like we've seen, but but it's also in reference to our love for him. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, same phrase, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. 
That's the love of God, too. It's the love that we have for him. And we show our love for him by keeping his commandments, and he'll strengthen us to do that. And and you just have to love the last line. He says, and those commandments, man, they're really really not that grievous. They're really not that big of of a burden. (laughs) So God wants to direct our hearts deeper into his love for us and into our love for him. So let me ask you, how, how is that going for you? How, how is that going in your life? Are, are you continuing to grow further and deeper in his love for you? Is that characteristic of, of your life? Are, are you continuing to grow further and deeper in, in your love for him? The Lord, is, will, he will direct us in those ways. So if that's not true in our lives, it isn't because he's not giving us the direction to get there. It's because we won't follow the directions. And listen, our our churches are filled with people that somewhere along the way got content with where they were spiritually and their hearts stopped growing further into the love of God. It's an epidemic. If you ever believe you've arrived at a really good place spiritually, and man, I hope some of, of you have. But if that is true, man, you better look out because you might just get content to stay there for another 10 years. All the while, the Lord is wanting to direct your heart further and deeper into his love for us and our love for him. So we see that that God wants to direct our hearts into the love of God. And then and then next we see that he will direct our hearts into the patient waiting for him. He will direct our hearts into the patient waiting for him. I know you're going to be tempted to pack up. Don't pack up on me. Back to 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. The Lord, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And what we're waiting for specifically is we're waiting for Christ to return. That's what we're waiting for. We, we need the Lord to direct us that way, though. We need the Lord to direct us into patiently waiting for his return. This is the truth that has been recurring all throughout these two letters to the Thessalonians. The return of the Lord, the return of the Lord. He's coming back. And it's vital that we patiently wait for him because, listen, looking to that day and patiently waiting for that day That's what's going to keep us going. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, it it puts it this way. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And what did that grace of God that brought us salvation teach us? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, as we're denying ungodliness and, and worldly lusts, and instead we're living soberly and, and, and righteously and godly, while we're out doing that, what's keeping us going in the midst of this crazy world and in the midst of all that this crazy world is throwing at us, what's keeping us going is looking for that blessed hope, it's looking to the day that we're going to see Jesus face to face, and it's all worth it. Amen. 
every bit of persecution that we may have endured, every bit of trial and tribulation that we endured, every bit of dying to ourself and dying to our lusts will all be worth it in eternity. In the Lord, he will be faithful to direct our hearts into patiently waiting for that day when it will all be worth it. Left to our own devices, it'll never happen. But we show up before the Lord and through his direction, we can, we can not only wait for the day that Christ appears and it's all worth it, but, but we can even do it patiently. Listen, we're, we're to look for his return when it's all worth it, and God wants us to be passionate about that. He wants us to desire for Jesus to return and to be excited for that. But in the midst of being passionate about his return, as we desire for, for him to pull us out of this wicked world, and we desire for him to finally get the glory due his name that day, we wait for it patiently. And the Lord will direct our hearts towards exactly that as we finish our course with joy. There's a day that Jesus is coming back, y'all. We ought to be excited and anxious for, the, for that day. But while we long for it, we patiently wait for it. And we have faith that by God's strength, he'll establish us and strengthen us in everything that he's commanded us to do. Listen, y'all. In the Lord, we have the strength to do and to be everything that he's called us to do. Will you go to him for the strength today? Will you quit trying to do it on your own? Will you go to the only source of the strength? Father, we love you and, and we thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for the way that you're with us. We thank you for your promises in your word. What incredible promises we have. It's hard to get our, our minds around it, God. May we May we rest in the truth of your word, understanding, God, that our circumstances are not promised. But, God, you have promised to strengthen us. You have promised to be with us. I, God, I pray that we would find that strength in you. There's only one place. There's only one source for that strength, and it's you, God. I pray, God, that we would humbly come before you this morning and find that in you. God, may we quit making excuses for our shortcomings or the reasons that we're falling flat spiritually or the reasons we're not as close to you as we should be or the reason that we're falling short in our lives god may we get rid of all of the excuses and know that if there's one thing we can count on lord it's that you are faithful and that you're going to continue to be faithful and you've promised us that you'll strengthen us to do everything you've asked us to do you've never asked anything of us that you won't be faithful to strengthen us for and i pray god that we would we would have, take hope in that. I pray, God, that we'd find that strength in you and that you'd be honored through our lives. Lord, if there's anybody here who's never called on your name to be saved, I'm praying this would be the day and that they wouldn't wait any longer. In your name we pray. Amen.